0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's episode of PodMosh. Today, we have Sheree Schooley, who is a forensic nurse. But first, I do want to remind you, I do real estate as a side gig. Buy or sell housing, whatever it is, I can help you out. I can even just have a consult with you if you want and talk about your future endeavors, whatever you want to do, really, whatever. Um, <laughs> the brokerage is called Your Team Realty, Leslie. She's awesome. Uh, follow me on Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, any type of social media. And if you're wanting to support the show for no specific reason you can find the cash app link in the description of this episode it could be a hundred dollars it could be a buck it could be five bucks or it could be nothing no worries because this is something i actually like doing Um, so so supporting the show will actually just help grow my audience cover some of the costs that i spend and and really make the experience a lot better with more resources more people coming on that's those type of things so Shree. She is a forensic nurse. I've worked with her for a long time. She also teaches yoga and uh, it was a very interesting episode as we get into things like the cycle of abuse, uh, trafficking, and a whole lot more as well as some of the ways to help with some of the issues. And as I was... Kind of talking to her, I was kind of getting riled up towards the end of the show because of some of the things she was telling me about uh, trafficking and the cycle of abuse. So I, right now, I'm just kind of looking up some stats on sex trafficking within our area, specifically you know, our specific area, and uh, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty saddening. Uh, just a couple years back, this was a 2018 report. On the Texas Criminal All Lawyers net, three hundred thousand people were trafficked in Texas during that time frame, and around seventy-nine thousand of those were youth victims, so under the age of eighteen. It's a multi-billion-dollar industry. Um, it's it's. I've kind of had to, like, pull back on some of my research because it's so frustrating to me. Um, so I'm bringing awareness to this, guys. This is a big issue. And Texas is the second worst state in the nation uh, for human trafficking because of uh, the I-35 corridor that goes from... The border all the way f- through Houston to Dallas, and this area is, is one of the worst in the entire nation. With California being the number one since the pandemic, according to uh, CBS, the National Human Trafficking Hotline, which is based in Washington, Washington DC, they report a forty percent increase in calls to the to the human trafficking hotline. And a 90% increase to the cyber hotline around child sex trafficking concerns. So that's pretty upsetting to me. If you want to get involved, there are ways. There's a lot of resources that you can just jump into. Um, if you want to help with like the cycle of abuse and ladies who might be in that cycle of abuse, there's something called Safe Haven. There's a lot of cool things that we will talk about more of that in the episode. Um, and sex trafficking, again, it's a huge issue and we are a hotspot. So try not to just live under your little shell, you know. Be aware of what's going on around you and maybe we can actually do some change. All right. We are live. Shree, tell me what you do.
1: I do lots of things. Like what? (laughs) So I'm a nurse.
0: No, you're not.
1: I pretend to be a nurse. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) I should ask Uh, all
0: the people who work with you. We'll see what they say. See
1: what they say. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So I work in the ER, but I'm also a forensic nurse. Uh, So forensic nursing, uh, the main thing around here is just the sexual assault exams that forensic nurses do um, but forensic nursing is much bigger than that but they're not utilized to their full capacity yet just in this area
0: so let's let's backtrack a long time how'd you get into the healthcare field initially
1: initially um, so what in 2011 I went to EMT school and I started out there and then
0: why EMT first
1: um, I think I knew I didn't want to be like a medical assistant but I knew I eventually wanted to end up being a nurse, and I knew that if I got into a hospital at some point, they would help me financially go to nursing school and mm. then get my foot into a door like somewhere. That's that's work. how we
0: initially met. Was yeah, in the ambulance,
1: yeah, many moons ago.
0: How many years? Like how long? How long were you at JPS?
1: I've been at JPS now for eight years.
0: Okay, full time, and you because you just recently moved over to Parkland, right?
1: Correct, but I'm still at JPS. Okay, yeah.
0: So you've been there for eight years, mm-hmm. and how long were you at AMR?
1: Uh, two. Wow.
0: So you and I have probably around a total of eight years. Actually,
1: I, before that, because we worked on the ambulance but together. Weren't you
0: there before, before I even got there?
1: But not by much, I didn't think.
0: Um, so you were at AMR for how long before I got there? Do you remember? Because I started in 2014, no, 20 beginning of 2013 at AMR.
1: So I was there probably a year before that.
0: Okay, so about, it's about nine years total we've known each other. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Wow. So it's
1: you, a long time. Yeah. <laughs>
0: what, were you, what did you do before EMT? Before EMT?
1: <laughs> um, so I also did lots of things there. Um, my first degree is actually a bachelor's in psychology.
0: I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. Um, so I got that at George Mason in Virginia and then got married. So we moved here because my husband got into UNT. Huh. And then, uh so we lived in Denton, and I worked.
0: Oh no, you went to UNT.
1: He went to UNT, yeah. <clears throat> oh, he did. Yeah, <laughs> for music. Um,
0: Cause he's a band major, band director. He's
1: a music major, yeah, oh. band director. But um so I worked in a drug rehab center huh. in Denton for a while, and then just realized like this is not for me. Like I can't move up because I only have a bachelor's. I don't want to go get a master's in psychology, so I decided to. Uh, Go get certified to teach yoga.
0: But aren't you going to get a master's degree in forensic? I nursing? did. You yeah. have that already, right? I have it already. So you, you want you wanted to get a master's? You just didn't want it to be in psychology.
1: I just didn't know what I wanted in life at all. Yeah. At that point, <laughs> I was twenty three, newly married, <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> still a baby. I really didn't even want my psych degree, but it was one of those like you have to go to college and you have to go to a four year degree to college and you know push that into. Just the way we grew up. Yeah. Um, so I just picked psychology because I had no way else. You know, What do I want to do in my life? I don't know. Yeah. But um, yeah, so decided after that, I didn't want to work there anymore. And I went and got certified to teach yoga. So I taught yoga for like 10. I was certified for 10 years. Yeah. Well, why yoga? Well, I kind of got into it um, with the drug rehab center. Because, you know, they would come in and do meditations and do yoga classes for the client For clients. drug rehab? Yeah. Really? Just, yeah. Like to help with PTSD and like, because why do people use drugs? Because they have other problems. So they would go in and try to do like the meditation and the flows just to get through, you know, help with therapy.
0: Hmm, there was you know. a really interesting TED talk on addiction and drugs and how like, um, basically we've gotten drugs all wrong. How we treat addiction yeah. therapy and all that. Basically, They I forget what country it was. They... Anybody who uh, was addi- had an addiction problem, they put them in like social community groups mm-hmm. where they created um, social groups where they actually create a community for them mm-hmm. and they got rid of their addiction. Like then didn- people just stopped cold turkey. Their like, percentages like-minded are crazy. People? Yeah. yeah. like mine they-, they created their community because a lot of times people who have these addiction problems are having problems with connecting,
1: mm-hmm.
0: having problems with actually being involved with other people. Yeah. <laughs> so they create communities for these people yeah and it fixes them
1: (laughs) yeah I mean kind of the same concept because they would go there it was an inpatient facility that I worked at so they would have all their group times and it wasn't just like group therapy it was the group fitness and the group yoga the group Hmm. meditation so it was you know did
0: it actually work out
1: um from from your perspective yeah that part of it did um but it was hard to work there with you know you just have repeat customers so, and that gets, you know, frustrating. I understand it's a disease process and, but it's like, I just want to shake some of them and be like, mm. why are you back here? <laughs> mm. <laughs> so it got hard, but, uh, yeah. So I branched out, went the yoga route, worked in the fitness world for a Steve, long time. You still are, right? I don't teach anymore. Oh, really? Mm-mm. Okay. No, I got There's to There's been a
0: lot of shifts in your life recently, huh?
1: Uh, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. No, I hit my, I hit grad school and, um something had to give i just couldn't work full-time and do school and so i quit teaching yoga <laughs> and i quit doing anything active so <laughs> there's
0: a lot of cool health benefits to yoga i didn't really realize it until recently honestly yeah
1: because
0: yeah. I, I started getting to breathing techniques and um, i try and stretch but yeah. you know I don't really i don't do a whole lot of um whatever those positions are
1: <laughs> for sure yeah no and everyone's like well i'm not flexible enough to do yoga but uh that's why you do yoga to get more flexible <laughs>
0: A lot of people do it for like anxiety, depression. That
1: too. Yeah. The meditation Why is that? Uh, Just the breathing techniques help. Like if you're about to have a panic attack and you've learned how to properly breathe and calm yourself down, then it really helps.
0: So what's interesting is I've never had anxiety my entire life. Never dealt with depression or anxiety really at all Um, until after COVID. Oh, yeah. And so I had COVID and ever since I had COVID in August, I think it was August or July. Um, I'll get these random panic attacks. Mm-hmm. I'll, like, I can't breathe. I feel like the whole world's closing in on me. Mm-hmm. Super weird. So I started just researching how COVID starts attacking the central nervous system. Yeah. Um, some argue that it's through the olfactory nerves. That's why you lose your uh, loss of your sense of smell.
1: smell. Yeah.
0: And so a lot of people who have lost their sense of smell and taste are the same ones who have the issues with depression and anxiety and paranoia. Yeah. Like the other night, I was, it was last Thursday night, I was laying in bed with my wife and I thought people were in the house and yeah. <laughs> I was like oh my god this is not normal this is Thanks, not COVID. okay yeah so I got up I like turned all the lights on and I stayed up for like another two or three hours mm-hmm. but I I did breathing techniques I uh had my tea I have like a chamomile herbal tea that I use to help yeah. with that
1: what's your Wim Hof is that your, Wim Hof yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: <Okay>. <laughs> thank you for bringing that up because I, I mean I I was I was really trying not to bring that up but <laughs>
1: Over I today. could tell you wanted to, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I mean it works. I did. A, it does work. I think it was last Friday. I was, it was just me and the kids here, and um, I had a crazy panic attack. Was having a crazy panic attack, and I did swim off, um, jumping jacks, push ups, and then tea, and I made rid of it. Yeah, but it's super weird from a guy who's who's never had these issues before. Yeah. Have you dealt with anxiety or anything like oh, that? Oh yeah,
1: I had horrible anxiety. Um, probably like my. Ugh, Third year of college, the first time.
0: <laughs> oh really?
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I was on medication and everything. Um, got better though. I did a bunch of just self, self stuff. Um, yoga did helped yoga, a yeah, ton. I yeah, um, I was really horrible um, about grinding my teeth when I slept and just keeping my jaw clenched, mm. like when I slept all the time. So I had horrible like TMJ and like headaches. Mm. And uh, I noticed yoga just got rid of all of that. Like I was finally able to. Was, what about it? Probably it's a breathing.
0: So uh, did you, I mean, have the, you done any research into how, um, like your nose breathing versus mouth breathing?
1: Yeah. So there's a technique, um, that you learn in yoga is alternate nostril breathing and it affects what? your alternate nostril breathing. You actually close the- So you close one side, breathe in, close that side, breathe out, breathe in, breathe. So you just alternate. What does alternate. that do? It calms down your central nervous system. What? Yeah. You should try it. It works. Why does it work? I, it's you don't It's magic. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's yoga magic. What? Yeah. And then close it and then breathe out. Like that? Yeah. Oh, the same nostril? No. So now switch and breathe out. Now breathe in with that nostril. Switch. Breathe out. Like if you do it a couple times, like a round of 10.
0: No, I'm, I'm, I'm all curious now.
1: Yeah. You should look it up.
0: Okay, so yoga helped you. Yes, Get rid of all, rid of all that. Yes. What time do you have to leave? By the way, we never answered that. Huh? What time do you have to dip out
1: of here? Um, I probably just need to sleep. I don't know, at like ten fifteen.
0: <laughs> I'm not expecting a five hour podcast. I'll say okay. that.
1: Okay, because yours and Naomi's was like fifteen hours.
0: Yeah, well, that was that was like so. That, so that was an hour and a half that we actually lost as well.
1: Oh goodness. Yeah, I know
0: because my computer crashed. Yeah. Um, but she had so many good things to say, like mm-hmm. the things, the best parts of what she had to say got lost and i was mm. so pissed cause oh, she is a wealth of knowledge.
1: Yeah, she really oh is. Oh my
0: gosh. Did you listen to Denise's? I did. That was the first time I had really heard her story from front to back.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: It was amazing. Um, so you <clears throat> left kind of the psychology side of things. Mm-hmm. You're done with that. You got your EMT and then you worked at AMR for about two years. yeah,
1: well, I taught yoga still while I worked at AMR Okay. and then, um, decided, okay, I want to go to nursing school. Like I don't want to go to paramedic school because I don't know. I just knew I wanted to be a nurse, work inside. Um, yeah. So I got my job at JPS and got partnered with them for nursing school for UTA. So with
0: with some of the things, sorry to cut you off, but with some of the things that you've had to deal with just as an EMT on the ambulance and at JPS, did the yoga help with a lot of that processing?
1: For sure. Yeah, just the um, <clears throat> the stress relief, for one thing, because it's a very high stress and high anxiety job. Um, the breathing as well, like just to keep your anxiety at bay, like while you're in one of those adrenaline-packed mm-hmm. situations. Because, you know, like you're on a of code or something and everyone's going nuts and you don't want to have a panic attack because your anxiety is stupid.
0: <laughs> mm. as, has that ever happened to you before?
1: No, I was able to just kind of separate myself and just know that, like, I'm here to do a job. Then you know this person is my responsibility, not those people. Like all the firefighters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or family members, yeah. or you know, yeah. yeah. Hmm.
0: So you, so UTA is what helped you uh, get your nursing while you're at JPS, is that right? Yeah, so okay. I got my
1: undergrad at UTA, um, and they partner with JPS. So did all my clinicals there, all my testing was there. So I only had to go to UTA for like two things the whole time in hmm. nursing school. Jeez. Yeah, everything else was at JPS
0: golly yeah it's I, I really like i said i miss working there oops i really miss working there yeah there's the wealth that you gain there's is, is priceless like yeah emts we, you know, we don't get paid a lot but the information and mm-hmm. the experience that you get working at that place you learn a lot really priceless fast, yeah for sure it's like drinking from a fire hose man
1: yeah golly. well and now since i don't really do i only do the er side maybe once or twice a month like i'm I'm losing a lot of my knowledge i think so if you don't use it you'll lose it so mm-hmm. i feel the same way too yeah
0: i left uh last november i think oh, so like a year yeah oh is that a, yeah
1: almost yeah
0: november beginning of november was yeah wow so oh, mom's a and already i'm like like what is this yeah like, i like I people now but that's nice <laughs> i, like I mean, you mean you know
1: i still don't like people now <laughs> <laughs>
0: But I can I can actually like have conversations with people and do yeah. other things besides just trying to recuperate from my right, shapes. Right.
1: <laughs> Not be a hermit for three days and keep the covers over your head.
0: I mean, I'm still a hermit because I'm technically a stay at home dad. Mm-hmm. So I'm just home all day. So if I have to leave, I'm like, golly.
1: I, I know, it. even before COVID, I never went out.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's kind of funny is what what singed it for me and my wife switching roles really was COVID. Yeah because I was at home for two weeks. My wife was losing her mind. Yeah. And I was like, I could actually get used to this. I mean, yep. let's do it. So like, she, I was
1: super pissed when Walmart wouldn't let me pick my groceries up at the beginning. I was like, no. <laughs> like, I have to go shopping by myself.
0: Well, I guess the, that's uh, uh possibly going to happen again. I heard. The rise of I know. the second wave or whatever.
1: So, I'm very lucky in the fact that my husband cannot sit at home. So, he would go do the grocery shopping and like the errands that we had to run and i could just work and sit on the couch (laughs) he goes out and handles the people
0: (laughs) wait how do you work from home
1: um he does
0: oh he does he did like when school shut down yeah
1: yeah he had to do everything online and he was losing his mind
0: and he's not the guy who likes staying at home
1: no you you are though i am seems like a
0: lot of er people are the guy who want to stay at home all the time i
1: just don't want to leave the house (laughs)
0: Okay, so now walk me through how you got into the same program, into that kind of whole realm. It's fairly new. Yeah. Um, it's one of the main reasons why I wanted to hear from you.
1: Yeah. Um, so working in the ER, um, I was an ER nurse for five years. I have been for almost six years now. Um, so my master's program was, what, three years? So I guess I was a nurse for two and a half years. I am just was like, you know, I'm still in this school mindset. I still want to learn things. I'm just ready to you know, keep moving forward because once you're out of school for a while, you really lose your drive to go back. So I was like, while well, I'm in this kick, like, what can I do just to further my education and, you know, go get my master's because mm-hmm. something I wanted to do. Um, when I went to college the first time, I always wanted to go to a and It was just my thing in high school. Like that was my college of choice. Um, I ended up having to move to Virginia because my dad got transferred out to Virginia for work. Um, and they basically said, if you want us to pay for college, you're going to come with us. <laughs> so I said, move into Virginia. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what part of Virginia? So,
1: uh, Fairfax area, okay. like Percival.
0: Molly was out there for a little while too. So she Northern, likes it. Yeah. Northern
1: Virginia. It's just expensive. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, hmm. Super expensive to live out there. I didn't know that. But um, yeah, so I always had this dream of going to A&M. So then I decided, you know, I'm going to look at them for their master's programs because it's always been a dream of mine to just get something from there. The first time I was in college, they didn't even have a nursing program. Hmm. So at A&M? Um, at A&M. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's shocking. Uh, I graduated sh- a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I won't go to that road. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in 2003, they did not have a, well, I went to college in 99. I graduated in 99 from high school. So yeah, they didn't have a nursing program in 99. <laughs> Okay. That's <laughs> but they have one now. Um, so I looked at all their master's programs, and I actually um, applied for their education track.
0: Oh.
1: Um, just thinking, like, what could I do long term? Like, because I don't know, you know, my longevity as a bedside nurse is, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need something to fall back on. So why mm. not teach? Um. Applied, and because of my first degree, um, that I barely got my degree. You know, my GPA was so low. <laughs> it was one of those, like, yeah. <laughs> I just didn't want to, didn't want to do it, yeah. but I still got it. Um, you know, but my nursing degree with my 3.9 GPA averaged with my first one just wasn't good enough. Mm. Um, so they said to apply to the certificate program for the forensic track. So I read it and I'm like, Oh, this is really cool. Like it was a postgraduate certificate but not a post-master's graduate. It was just a post any kind of, you graduated college, you can do this program. So if you have your bachelor's or your master's, or it's open to all college levels. um, But they were master's levels courses. So reading through the curriculum, it was like forensic investigation of injury, um, victimology, mental health and crime, like Mm. all of these really like Really cool topic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah. So I decided to apply for the certificate program um, and just to get those classes under my belt so I could have graduate level courses on my transcript. And then they said, you know, once you have those programs, you know, those courses, you can go ahead and go back and reapply because then you prove that you can make good grades at the graduate level. Yeah. Um, but through the certificate, they turned it into a master's program. So they branched it, and they still kept the certificate, but they added the masters in forensics as well. So I just went ahead and applied to the master's program because it was so cool. Huh. <laughs> I wow. was like, this is really awesome. And everything for the investigation of injury, we saw it every day in the ER. Mm-hmm. Like everything that was ha- like coming in and trauma, um, we had a ton of you know domestic violence victims, like JPS has the same team, so everything that I was learning, I could apply to what I was doing. So I just wanted to keep doing that.
0: Hmm. So. So what, still, like, that's awesome. But why? Like, why did you initially get into it? Like, why is this? Because this is not just something you like learning. It's like your passion. Right. It's like your calling.
1: So and I, I learned that while I was doing my studies. Oh, uh, okay. Because, um, you know, there's, for the average nurse, you don't really go into depth on learning about Cycles of violence for you know a domestic violence victim that comes into the ER half the time you just say do you feel safe at home
0: so cycle of violence mm-hmm. explain that
1: so a cycle of violence um, it is once you're a victim you have the capability of continuing to be a victim and it just circles around you and then you can pass that on to people like pass it on to your family
0: well you can pass your the cycle yes so so really? like,
1: yeah, so you so if my
0: mom was more uh likely to or if she was in the cycle of abuse or violence, mm-hmm. then she'd pass it most likely to her daughters
1: or, or they or they would become a victim of the same type of abuse, uh, or say you saw like what your dad did to her in mm-hmm. that cycle, and you would become an abuser, and vice versa, really yeah, like they're learned behaviors is what the cycle yeah, how did I know that yeah, but there's also in the cycle um your you're just set up differently when you're in those situations because usually you're lower SES or you have like hardships. So that's kind of a learned.
0: Hmm.
1: Is that you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah.
0: So it's more more about what you see. Mm-hmm. You're gonna do automatically. Mm-hmm. Now, is it different for age groups? So, like, if mm-hmm. so, if you know if the father wasn't in there at that at a young age, if his kids were doing it, he's not gonna do it. Is that what you're saying?
1: It depends on like when the behavior's learned. Is that what you mean? Yes.
0: Yeah. So as an adolescent.
1: So as an adolescent, you see things like that and you're like, oh, well, this is how a relationship's supposed to be. Like, this is how my parents are. Mm. So then when you're in your own relationship, like, well, my dad does this to my mom. Why can't I do this to my girlfriend?
0: Hmm. You
1: know what I mean? Does that hmm. make any sense? No, yeah, definitely. Like um, if you have an infant and the mom gets the infant out of the relationship early on and that infant never knows that their dad was an abuser, then they have a higher chance of. Not falling in their footsteps.
0: Okay. So so for, for specifically women, because women is the ma- majority of these issues, correct?
1: It's the higher number, yeah. Higher number. I mean, it, it happens in same-sex relationships as well. Yeah. And they're just not, they don't have nearly the resources, and they're not nearly talked about as much as, like, men abusers to women victims. Mm.
0: So. so in those types of cycles, how do we break it? Like. For the women who are in those types of situations, what's going on in their mind that makes them, like, stay in that situation?
1: So, you learn that it never happens from the beginning. It's always, like, a a gradual process. So, as soon as you start with, you know, dating someone, they're not going to immediately just beat the crap out of you. Um, It's a slow process (laughs) that... (laughs) get. <laughs> I know. Hey, I love you. Yeah. Like it's very first date and they're oh, going to, yeah,
0: that's terrible to joke about, but, but, sorry. <laughs> um,
1: so it's a gradual process for most of these victims. Um, they're put into situations where they're completely helpless. So over time, um, you know, it starts out as a fabulous relationship. They're still independent. They still have their own means to, you know, do whatever they need to do, but then say they get married. So once they get married, um, And
0: that could be like years down the line. It could be years down the line. Yeah.
1: Um, So the husband decides, well, now that we're married, you don't need to work anymore. I'm going to be the sole provider for the family. So you can stay home. Let's try to have a family, you know, stay home and keep the kids. So that's one part of isolation or they'll pick them up and move them away from their families and their friends. Isolation is a key thing. Isolation is. Yeah. That's usually kind of what happens first.
0: So yeah, let's, as you're, as you're going through this kind of, uh, for somebody who doesn't know anything about this, like me, mm-hmm. try and, and make it like, if there's a scenario, say, you know, Jane and John got married right, and then phase one is isolation. Right. So continue after, after that.
1: So, you know, oh, you're not going to work anymore. I'm going to be the sole provider. You can stay home and keep the kids. Um, and then that turns into, um, I'm only going to give you X amount of money to go to these certain places to buy these certain things. So then they take their financial freedom away from them too. So they're completely dependent on, well, I can't even go to the grocery store because so-and-so told me I couldn't leave the house today. And then they're not near their family anymore, so they can't go visit people. Um, so that isolation is the first thing. And then they take all of their, their financial resources away from them. So they have no way of getting their own money. So whenever... The actual physical abuse starts because usually the verbal starts way before the physical will, mm. and those are kind of subtle in most situations, and then it just grows intently to the physical abuse.
0: Is there any way to recognize the emotional abuse?
1: Um, they do recognize like red flags, like within.
0: And what are some of those?
1: Um, you had to ask me,
0: <laughs> red flag emotional <laughs> yeah, abuse, like.
1: You know, just belittling people, so calling them names, um, talking about their image. So, like you're, you know, you're getting really fat. Like mm. Why are you? Don't wear that shirt because you're too fat for it. Like, you know, just things that'll break down their psyche. Psyche, yeah, yeah. You know, hmm. you're you're getting too fat for anyone else to love you. No one's ever gonna love you like I will love you. Like those kind of trap entrapments.
0: Hmm. And it's more like so it's it's isolation it's dependence isolation
1: dependence yeah okay
0: and what typically happens after that i mean if if they've succeeded that point yeah what typically happens
1: um so the physical abuse will also increase over time um and it depends on typical situations like if the husband comes home from work and like dinner's not ready or you know typical things that could set that person off or if the husband is a drug or alcohol abuser Um, which is typical, Mm. then those situations will increase and the abuse will get worse whenever they're under the influence. Um,
0: is there a, is there a a line that usually is usually crossed? That's kind of like a huge, um, milestone for them, for the husbands to be even more violent.
1: Yeah. Um, and typically those boil back down to, oh, well, who did you go talk to yesterday? You know, let me look at your cell phone. Have you been cheating on me? You know, who is that guy you talk to in the parking lot, in the grocery store, or, you know, those mental, that just make, they just make shit up mm. <laughs> like in their minds and then they take it out on their partners. So.
0: And what's the likelihood of that, that violence turning to murder?
1: Very high. Like um, what? Well, I know that if there is strangulation in the relationship, there is a 900% chance of IPV, like it increases by 900%. What's IPV? Intimate partner violence.
0: So mm-hmm. If somebody actually, if the aggressor puts their hands on the aggressee, mm-hmm.
1: there's a
0: nine hundred percent chance they're going to die from violence.
1: Yes. Oh my
0: gosh, that's insane.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. So, it's a. Uh, so if you're in a relationship that you're getting strangled by your intimate partner, huh. um, you have that higher likelihood of becoming a homicide. And those individuals are actually much higher percentage to shoot police officers. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The studies say that uh, one of the most dangerous calls that a police officer can go on is a domestic violence call.
0: Wow. I know even as first responders in our sh- short mm-hmm. time that we did, it was, I mean, it was, you saw the domestic disturbance yeah. or domestic violence calling You're like okay that's yeah. that's why we always had to clear the scene or scene safety for before we ever jumped in
1: right have your stand standby huge, huge deal uh-huh.
0: um what do you know about the psyche of the aggressors
1: so oh. i actually bought a book um it's called why why do they kill mm. and um i haven't finished it yet so <laughs> i wish i would have finished it before i come mm. to talk to you but it's uh pretty what have
0: you learned so far
1: Um, that is typically learned behavior is that cycle Mm -hmm.
0: from the aggressor,
1: from the aggressor. Yeah. From seeing it when they were younger. Is the
0: aggressor, like the the victim a learned behavior as well? Not wanting to get out of it.
1: It can be. Yeah. It's part of it.
0: So if if a lady is being continually emotionally abused and physically abused, is that something that is majority of the case because they also saw it or they Mm -hmm. learned it?
1: They learned it because they don't know any better. They've never seen a relationship. That's not like that. Hmm. Like as a child.
0: Interesting. So, yeah. Do you know the stat on that? Like majority wise?
1: Um, I used to, I've written a lot of papers on it, but that was like three years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah the stats are like, Rarr.
0: Yeah. Get that.
1: <laughs> but it's a thing. Okay.
0: Back to the aggressor.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, there's usually an alcohol problem. There's usually, or a drug problem. Um, the learned behavior, the cycle, and actually a lot of culture issues as well.
0: Hmm, like what do you mean?
1: Um, so, you know, my husband's a teacher Mm -hmm. and he teaches a demographic that, um, is different from the way that we've grown up Mm -hmm. and he sees, um, he sees culture from their demographic that he is trying to change a little bit. Like the, um, the verbiage that said between like girlfriend and boyfriends, Mm -hmm. how, you know, the man is like making the decisions already for mm-hmm. this high school girl mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's just like no you can make your own decisions like you don't need him to make your decisions for you to just see that cycle already forming because mm-hmm. of what they've learned at home hmm.
0: and i wonder like those those type of situations I, i'll bet and i could be wrong like where your husband is in that could be like a massive turning point in their life right for the lady yeah where they're like oh that's actually like a guy's telling me I can make my own decision. Yeah, hmm, like you can do
1: this on your own. Hmm. You don't need a man. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Be an independent woman. <laughs> I need my man to hold me down. That's right.
0: <laughs> All right. So continue on what you've learned about the egressor, the psyche about them. Um, why do they? Why do they typically want to do that? Aside from the learned behavior, because I mean, society a lot of times when you're with your friends, with when you're with um, other couples, and that you see them not beating up on each other, yeah. and, and so. If that's a learned behavior, why can't, you know, the good behavior be a learned behavior as well from society's perspective?
1: True. And it's also um, a power and control issue. So if you have an individual who just really wants that power all the time, then that's, that's what they're going to do.
0: Why do you think they want the power?
1: I don't know. Probably it, the way they were, the way they grew up.
0: Do you think it's all the way you're growing up?
1: I think, I think it's nature and nurture. Like it's a little bit of both. Like it is the way you grow up, but you do have some people that it's inherited in those personalities.
0: So you inherit, like what type of personalities could be inherited?
1: You know, like like that, um, strong, aggressive, like, because some, some people are just more aggressive than other people. And if you're not taught to control it, I I I, I
0: had a temper, I mean, I'm kind of aggressive. Yeah. But but
1: you've, you've learned. Yes. Yeah. You were nurtured in a way. Yeah. Hey,
0: don't punch things when you're super angry. I put so many holes in the wall growing (laughs) up. Like
1: this is not appropriate. (laughs) Yes,
0: I get that now. So, so what you're saying is if I didn't get nurtured, I had a strong possibility of being an aggressor.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm.
0: All right. What else is the book? What else is the book teaching you?
1: That's really all I've learned so far. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, but they interview, um, some abusers that are in jail and some that have, well, all of them have killed somebody that they're interviewing in jail. So it's a very different, like different perspective because you usually hear yeah. about it from, you know, the victim side of things. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty interesting.
0: What it, your role at Parkland right now is what? Mm-hmm. What do you do at Parkland?
1: <clears throat> I am on the forensic examiner team. And currently we're just um, we're concentrating on sexual assault exams for the moment and we do all of the legal blood draws for law enforcement that brings. Can you
0: can you walk through that process? So like, when, so say if a lady is right now
1: mm-hmm.
0: in this situation, they're in the cycle of abuse. They want to get help. They come to a hospital. What's going to happen?
1: So current, And
0: There's specific hospitals you have to go to, right? For this to actually for, to get help.
1: For what type of abuse, though? Are you talking about a sexual or, assault? I don't know. I guess or domestic violence.
0: Uh, Is there, what's the difference and why would you need to go to different hospitals for that?
1: So currently, um, domestic violence exams are not performed in most hospitals. Um, usually if you're in a domestic violence situation and you're injured, you present to the ER just like you would for any other injury. And they ask you a few screening questions. Um, but
0: a lot of those screening questions have, they, they, they don't catch a lot. And that was kind of the frustrations that even you and I've talked about when we were working.
1: Right. So, So how do you fix that? So JPS has done a really good job of changing their abuse screen like we worked really hard to change that screen and um trauma services they worked really hard on making it to where we can pull data so we can track some of those things like from the computer but it's not just your do you feel safe at home question Mm, anymore it's a scale that you could do a one through five um and they ask very specific questions do
0: they do that with the person in the room like another person in the room
1: no so there's a, a part in the The screen that if you can't get the patient alone, then you can click on the screen, unable to get alone at this time. And then if you have to take that person to CAT scan, or if you have to take them to an x-ray or, you know, let's go get this urine sample to try to get them away from that person. Then you can ask the screening questions Mm. Okay. and you even have to be careful with like kids. Because a lot of times if they bring their little kids with them to the hospital and they get home that afternoon, you know, dad's Mm. like, Hey, where'd y'all go today? It's like, Oh, we went to the hospital with mommy so it's a mm. that can be a hazard as well for the patient
0: hmm. okay well that's that's good that they actually increase that screening though
1: yeah um they continue so if you come in for a sexual assault um there's different processes you can go through for your sexual assault so as a victim of sexual assault if you're over the age of 18 and under the age of 65 then you have the right to report it or not report it so you can call the police tell them what happened or you can come into the hospital get a kit done, get the treatment that you need, and not tell the police that it happens. So those are your choices.
0: So what happens, though, like the situation that you and I were involved in Mm -hmm. where police weren't really helpful in
1: that? Correct. Um, So because there wasn't an element of sexual assault in that situation, that made it different.
0: Uh, Does that
1: make any sense? Yeah. Yeah. So that was just a situation where... I need to come in, I need to get treated, you know, this happened to me, um, my neck hurts, like those kind of, you know, questions. Hmm. Um,
0: so it's completely treated way differently. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay.
1: Yeah. Right now for, you know,
0: is there a hope to not treat it differently?
1: Hopefully. I mean, yeah. cause you know, a domestic violence victim also has the choice to report it or not report it. The only injuries that are reportable, um, mandatory report or gunshot wounds and stab wounds So, if a woman comes in Mm. and they've been shot, then, yes, we have to call the police. Mm. It doesn't matter the situation. Mm. Um, Okay. But, yeah.
0: So, continue with your story. You were talking about how to get... So, getting into if if there's a victim, Mm -hmm. which hospital to go to, what's the process, so on and so forth.
1: Yes. So, in our area, we do offer SANE programs at the majority of the hospitals that are in each city. Um, So, when you go to the outliers, that's whenever... They'll probably transfer you to a hospital that does have a SANE program to do the exam. But they, um, you walk in, check in, say, you know, I'm here for a sexual assault exam. Um, They get taken back to the room. The SANE nurse comes in. A doctor will do a head-to-toe, just make sure we're not missing any kind of major trauma, see if they need any x-rays or anything like that. Um, The patient has the rights to fill out a CVC form. So a crime victims compensation form for the state of Texas. So that goes into a bank where since they are a victim of a crime, the state of Texas will pay for the hospital visit. Mm. And um, that's big. That's huge. Yeah.
0: Cause a lot of people don't want to come in because they can't pay for it. Right. There's not enough resources.
1: Right. Um, so the only difference between the sexual assault and the domestic violence assault um, to have CVC Pay for a DV exam, like for the. What's a DV exam? The domestic violence, okay. like, like the.
0: Acronyms. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Give me four words here. Sorry about that. It's um, <laughs> kind of funny. So pause on acronyms. It's like every business, every hospital, even when I left JPS, it's like a whole other language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want the CDC for the AFHA so I can do the DV. You know what I'm saying? I, I, <laughs> I,
1: I did a sense. note um, in one of my patients' charts at Perklin. And I put ATT at the end of it. So at this, at this time. time, yeah. And then my preceptor at the time, she read it and she's like, oh, ATT isn't an acronym that we can use. It's not recognized at Parkland. I'm like, oh, are you serious? <laughs> so I delete she's like actual? at this time.
0: The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, acronym's in and of themselves, man. It's a whole <laughs> of language. She's like, so, there's only
1: certain approved acronyms that we can use. I'm oh like, okay. Gosh. I'll go back and just type oh, all these words no.
0: out. <laughs> So, moving forward, I, I don't do well with acronyms okay, right because yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> That's
1: fine. Um, so, for the domestic violence victims, <laughs> okay. to get the crime victim's compensation, they have to report their assault to law enforcement. Like, they okay. have to have a case number and be participating in an investigation. So, for sexual assault, you don't have to report, and you can still apply for your crime victim's compensation.
0: Okay. So, either way, you get paid for
1: for sexual assault. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Um, have you noticed a different with like different departments willing to work with you more than other departments, police departments? Or um, is it all across the board kind of okay?
1: Yeah, it's all across the board okay. Um, the state of Texas filled, um, they changed with the attorney general's office. You have to fill out a piece of paper now that's requesting an exam for a law enforcement agency. So once they went to those request forms, um, there's really a lot of Law enforcement agencies—they're like, oh, I'll just sign this and hand it over to you. And just okay. like, well, the detective will come call them later. Like, <laughs> well, here's cool. here's your paper. Yeah. <laughs> so, it helped a lot.
0: Cool. So continue with again your story. I keep Sorry. cutting you off. <laughs>
1: it's okay. <laughs> so, um yeah,
0: and feel free to just talk. Like, if you're if you have anything you want to say, just start saying it. Okay. I'm just listening. Okay. So, I mean. <laughs>
1: So where were we on the exam
0: um imagine someone's coming in they file the report whether it's a domestic violence or uh abuse right
1: the sexual assault sexual assault yeah
0: so then what happens
1: so once they come in um and i'll just i'll speak from what we do at park one because it is a little different than other hospitals and how long um, have you been Park parking
0: Oh,
1: since april okay yeah so they actually check them into the er and their ER patients, um, so that we can make sure we do testing on them. They can we offer them baseline STD testing. We can do um, all the antibiotics in case they were exposed to any STDs. We can offer them the pregnancy prophylaxis, um, and they offer them HIV prevention as well. The medications to go home with. So the physician will see them, and uh, you know do all of that. Mm. And then um, if they say, "Yeah, he hit me in the back of the head with a gun." then we're gonna want to tell the providers, you know, this is what happened to her, she's having a really bad headache. And then they'll say, okay, well, let's order a CT scan. So they can also treat them medically throughout the process while we're doing our sexual mm-hmm. assault part of it. Okay. So, yeah.
0: Um, is it, is it pretty invasive for doing the sexual assault exam?
1: It depends on their history of the assault. So um, we start out just doing paperwork um, getting some background information on their medical history. Um, you know, are they allergic to anything? If they have any kind of disorders that we're going to have to be watching for, for extra bleeding or, you know, any of that. Um, we do care about their last period just to, you know, make sure, well, if you haven't had your period in three months, is there a chance that you're pregnant? Mm. Like before this, you know, Have those you kind had of,
0: those type of situations mm-hmm. before? Yeah. It's pretty hard. pretty different in how you treat them.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah there's just some things you can't offer them if they're already pregnant mm-hmm. um just medications and you yeah. know things like that but um I lost my train of thought <laughs> <laughs> it's okay I lost my train of thought too. That's fine <laughs> uh, <laughs> the,
0: dadgum mic got my brain all sorry <laughs> no it's not your fault it's my mic <laughs> kept falling off the dadgum table got uh, my brain all fuzzled <laughs> fuzzled is that even a word fuzzled fuzzled the muzzle fuzzled Oh,
1: oh. <laughs> but anyways, um, so medical history we go through all of that, and then mm-hmm. we'll get into a few more details about their actual assault, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we want to write down word for word <clears throat> what they say happened in their assault. Mm-hmm. So and we put it in quotes, and everything they say just goes straight on the paper, and then based on what they tell us in the history. Mm-hmm. Is where we take our collections of samples from. Okay. So.
0: So how do you how do you again how do you get um, the patient away from that situation? Because they're in the cycle of abuse, they want help, but a lot of times that I've seen, they, they just go back to the same situation.
1: As far as the domestic violence,
0: yeah, or yeah, or assault, or whatever, sexual violence, right?
1: So the sexual assault. Portion, we do get a few that are um, in domestic abuse relationships, uh. and the abuse that they're, you know, the sexual assault is part of the abuse. Uh. But really, the majority of the sexual assaults that we see are um, not related to that. Huh. Does that make any sense?
0: Yeah. I'm still fixing the mic. Um, now, I'm going to kind of switch a little bit here. You, uh, you what's it called? Hero in this realm was that doctor.
1: I'm Dr. Smock.
0: Smock. Yeah. Tell me about that. Tell me about the emerging field of, was it forensic? Yeah. What is that?
1: So he practices clinical forensics, Okay. which, you know, is live patients. Um, he has a program that, um, he's really big into the strangulation research.
0: And explain that again. That's it's fairly new. Most people don't know about it. Most doctors don't know about it. Right. The difference. What? It, how do you find um, these signs? What are some of the signs for strangulation protocols? Right.
1: Um, so he works with a group out of San Diego that um, they hold advanced courses on trainings for non-fatal manual strangulation in relationships or um they actually are doing research on like military trainings too for like choke holds and stuff like that. So not just like domestic Mm. violence strangulation. Um but the research that they've been doing shows that 90% I think it's a really high like it's either 85 or 90% of non-fatal manual strangulations will have no outward signs of injury. So no bruising on the neck, no scratch marks. Um, but they do have a higher percentage of having internal injuries that, um, could be very serious. So like carotid dissections, and if you, you if that's dissected, it forms a clot, the clot will break off and you can have a stroke. So they're doing research on, um, younger women that are presenting with stroke symptoms, um, to Hmm. see if they have strangulation in their history for any relationships or any of that. Because a lot of times Because it doesn't leave marks. It's a continual thing in these relationships as a power, as a sign of power. It's like, I can strangle you until you pass out, but then you wake up and like, I can control you because I can take Mm -hmm. this away from you.
0: So why would they not bruise though?
1: The amount of pressure. So So they can
0: pass out and not bruise. Right. Wow. Yep.
1: So they did a study on pounds of pressure to occlude different arteries and veins in your neck Mm -hmm. and your trachea. Um, and it actually takes more pressure to open a Coke can than it does to put pressure on your neck to that make could be you, fatal. Like, pass out or be fatal. Yeah.
0: And 90% of those ones are the ones that are, are finding that are fatal.
1: So actually they are saying that um, the the intimate partner violence homicides that do have strangulation in their relationships, they're usually meet their death by a gunshot wound. They're usually shot.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. Is there a specific reason for that uh, or just a pattern they've noticed?
1: It's just a pattern they've noticed. What? Yeah. So
0: somebody who had this, uh, so let's even back up a little bit. So you have emotional abuse and you have physical abuse. Um, and Then you have all these, this, you're in the cycle of abuse. You're more likely to be to be in the cycle of abuse for a long time. And then if, if they actually put your hand, so the hands on the neck is the biggest factor for um, that
1: Increasing your chances of of dying.
0: dying. Mm -hmm. And 90% of it, of people who have gotten the hands in the neck have died Mm -hmm. from their intimate partner with a gun. Yes. Wow. That's crazy.
1: So the Tarrant County numbers have actually tripled now, I think. Since COVID? Since COVID. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because last year, I want to say the number for IPV, so intimate partner violence, um, homicides. Yeah. (laughs) I think it was seven last year. Seven what? Women.
0: Seven women that died, died from...
1: Yeah. And then now I think we're already up to 18, I think is uh, what the last thing that I months. read. And we still have a couple more months. Yeah.
0: Do you think it's for sure COVID? It's is for sure reason?
1: COVID. Because there's, I mean, people aren't going to work. They're at home with their entire family. Kids are stressful. Hmm. Families are stressful.
0: Is it different in Dallas? Are those numbers different in Dallas that you know?
1: Um. This might sound really horrible, but I actually don't know what they are in Dallas. Mm. Um there's just different different programs that happen in Tarrant County than that happen in Dallas. So I'm not really sure where my in for those programs are yet. Mm. Um but I was super involved in like the high risk team for Tarrant County, so we would get those numbers through the high risk team. Mm. Um with the Family Justice Center and you know, yeah. Safe Haven and all that. So
0: What's Safe Haven?
1: Um it is a Domestic Violence Shelter and Resource Center for Victims of Domestic Violence.
0: Okay, well, it's they, resource, but
1: yeah, practically, um,
0: if, if somebody's in this situation, mm-hmm. they can go to Safe Haven, and then what happens?
1: So, Safe Haven offers a ton of different stuff. They offer counseling, they offer legal help, they offer shelter, they offer, um, I think... They just, it's just a really good resource center Mm -hmm. Um, because not everyone is going to leave where they're at to go to shelter and not everyone can qualify to get into shelter because there's only limited space. So it's really good to learn how to shelter in place for some of these women and safe haven can help you do that.
0: Mm -hmm. There's different signs even right for, for asking for help. Mm -hmm. There's like, I saw somebody do like a hand up where they on the video and. I don't know what they were signing, but it wasn't even signing. Which was a specific sign on their hand.
1: Yeah, and they was were like a saying, universal. Aren't there some like isn't there a certain shot you can order at a bar? Yeah, like if someone's.
0: And then the tattoo, there's some tattoo you can get on your hand, something, or something like that. Or you show it like this, and yeah, palm up, and I don't know what it was. Yeah, there's a, there's a few of those that will kind of help
1: yeah and there's um companies that make different things that you can put like hotline numbers on so like a chapstick or Mm. um things that wouldn't look very conspicuous if the patient were to take it home with them Mm. so it doesn't say like you know domestic abuse hotline all over a piece of paper and you know like there's just a random chapstick with like a phone number on it or
0: because this all this whole field is is mm -hmm. still fairly new am i right
1: i want to say um So, Virginia Lynch, she was the pioneer of forensic nursing. She basically paved the way for all of forensic nursing. Mm. And she... um, And
0: forensic nursing is is specifically in this realm of uh, topic, right?
1: Yes. So, forensic nurses are capable of the sexual assault exams, all the domestic violence and intimate partner violence, um, research and exams and those kind of things, the strangulation um, research and exams... And then we're also trained for death investigation. Okay. Yeah. Huh. So Virginia Lynch was actually a death investigator.
0: How long ago was that?
1: In the seventies, I think. Okay. Like late sixties, early seventies, I believe. Hmm. Yeah.
0: But I'm like, I, I mean, I'm not saying that I just because I haven't heard it doesn't exist, but it seems like it's, it's catching more steam it is now it's than still, it was then
1: for sure because you got to think about like women's rights too mm. you know women have more rights now than, yeah. what, than what happened in the 70s no man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean a lot happened in the 70s <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh dr smock you said is is hmm. pushing a lot of these um new ideas showing evidence on the cat scans on how to even look yeah because even our radiologists a lot of times don't know how to read and, and look out for um, strangulation, right? right?
1: Yeah, because you can have a dissected carotid and not show any signs at all until you have a stroke. Mm-hmm. Or you can have a broken hyoid bone. And how not- is that
0: possible? How can you have a stroke like that or a dissected carotid without like, because we do a CTA, which is, you know, pumping contrast at a really fast rate in the arteries. And that's how we see it in, in the, on the CAT scan and it helps us see that break but if it's dissected it should show that right
1: well if they come in and get a cta done then yes but most of these women don't come in
0: what's the time frame for whenever it's almost like statute of limitations for <laughs> when you can't tell
1: they haven't determined so they're still trying to do all that research
0: so if somebody comes in and they did get strangled and they did have a dissection mm-hmm. we still don't know how long it would take for it to not be shown on a casket.
1: It would show immediately on the cat scan if it was dissected. Yeah, but it's that rate of healing or the clot formation, or you know, all of that is just dependent on how your body's forming it.
0: So the when it heals is whenever it's going to cause the clot, right? Or while
1: it's healing, it's forming that clot. Because think about when you get um, like a scab; it's gonna, it op- your skin opens, everything runs there, so it can start to scab up, and then it's going to form all of those clots of platelets, so it seals over. So your body is trying to heal it itself, by like mm. putting all those little platelets there and like clumping up. And then if something happens and that clump breaks off, mm. where is it going to go? Yeah. Straight up to your head.
0: What are some of the things that Dr. Smock is doing to further this field?
1: So he's really trying to get out there with all of his research. Um, he really wants um, patients who do come into these facilities that has um, imaging capabilities to have a set... We can't really call it a protocol, but like guidelines to send this patient to get a CTA done. Mm-hmm. So the CAT scan like um, with a contrast.
0: And that kind of it goes back to that those screenings, right? Yes. So the nursing and the screenings with the nurses.
1: It's really a physician questionnaire um, that he wants certain flags to be brought up with the patient. Because if you look at a patient and like they don't. Like
0: an Epic make, or something?
1: That's what JPS did was to okay. use it in Epic. But he made a flyer. And it's like a flow chart. So it's like patient presents and you ask these questions, if it's a yes or no, then you come over here and you, you know, just depends on the the treatments, depending on how the patient asks, you know, answers the questions.
0: Real question for you or random question for you. Um, you know how, like if you see too many signs on the highway or too many signs in a room, you can actually not read any of the signs mm-hmm. or you only or if you have one sign or two signs, you actually focus on those one or two signs. Mm-hmm. Um, At what point does that happen with assessments?
1: Well, there's there's too many
0: assessments for a patient, like, like adding another sexual assault assessment for a doctor, an ER doctor who's trying to help this patient, but doesn't have necessarily the time to spend an hour with a patient when there's a hundred patients waiting for him, you know?
1: Right. And typically the assessments that you get for strangulation patients, you know, if they don't see any marks on their neck, it consists of, um, are you having any trouble swallowing or is your voice different? They're like, well, no, or did you pee yourself? No, did you pass out? No, move on.
0: Mm, that's that's it. Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: but he, Dr. Smock, wrote out this flow sheet, so he really wants people to assess um vision. Did you hear any ringing in your ears? did you see spots? Did you get lightheaded? Um, what's the last thing that you thought? You know, what were you thinking while his hands were around your throat? Because if you're honestly sitting there thinking, like, I'm about to die then there's some like horror there, you mm. know? So how hard are they squeezing? Um, the incontinence is a big one, which doesn't always happen. It just depends. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm.
0: Why? Fear? Just,
1: your body shuts down. Mm. You pass out. Wow. So, yeah.
0: And there was a, there's somebody who had similar issues like that, that like that situation happened to them and they, they couldn't stand up straight.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm guessing that's for the same reason. Yeah. Like when they closed their eyes, it was, they tipped over.
1: I mean, think about everything that's there. Like not just your arteries and your veins, but all those nerves that run up and down, like your trachea, your everything. Mm. All your bone structures. Like there's a lot of stuff in your neck that you you don't have to have any outward signs of injury.
0: So he's he's furthering the assessments. What else is he doing? His research. Yeah. This is in California?
1: He is actually based in Louisville, Kentucky. Oh. Yeah, he's in Louisville, Kentucky. He's the police surgeon for That's the Louisville right. Police Department. That. Yeah, um, but he's working with these people in San Diego that okay. have their own um, research mm. and they do these classes. And
0: So why did he get involved, you know?
1: He he's is, a police surgeon. <laughs> he's just really adamant about all these research. I mean, he really started it with um, police training because, you know, they practice chokeholds in training and military, oh. they practice chokeholds and... But he's really learned that the same issues present for you know people mm-hmm. who the are being strangled. Yeah.
0: Huh. Yeah. So how, what else is he doing? Like, what are some of the weird things that he's discovered that are are kind of for you mind blowing?
1: Um, well, just the fact that they're looking for all these carotid dissections. So he's really pushing for places where they've done these trainings to go back to their facilities where they can do imaging and scan more people. To pull all of these results to have more data just to see what the likelihood of, you know, the chances are to have these, you know, carotid dissections.
0: Well, that more data is the Achilles heel of research. Yes. So <laughs> how is he doing that? Because if you're already trying and, and walking on thin ice with yeah. some of these patients. Yeah. How do you ask them to come involved, get involved in a study like that?
1: It's not. It's, it's not that type of study. Okay. So once a patient comes in and they're there because they had a strangulation mm. in, a, in an assault um, and they do do a CTA... They do. They do. They do. <laughs> <Doo-doo>. <laughs> they have a CTA done. Um, if it's positive, then we've been told to, with that patient's permission, to send all of that back to Dr. Smock. Mm. So it's really just a...
0: So they're not checking out and then getting a CTA like afterwards as part of a new research study. Right. They're at the immediate... Attention is It is at time okay. of treatment. Okay.
1: Yeah. But a lot of women just don't come in.
0: And what would you tell them? Like, say there's, say there's, uh, there are ladies right now or men mm-hmm. who are listening right now. Um, what do you tell them to get out of the cycle of abuse?
1: You can't. It has to be something that they're prepared to do. Like you can give them tools and you can give them things to mm-hmm. keep them safe, but they say it takes at least seven times for someone to leave an abusive relationship.
0: Like what do you like mean? Seven times? Seven tries. Huh? Might
1: like to try to get their stuff together to leave at least seven times.
0: Before they actually make that before choice. Before they
1: can actually leave. Yeah. Cause what, it just What type takes, of
0: encouragement would you give them?
1: You just listen. Like if they have to talk about something, then you listen and you believe them and you, you know, if they need your help, you say, yeah, I'll help you instead of giving them a hard time with, you know, well, why are you still there? I don't understand how you put up with that. Like,
0: don't be what, yeah. that
1: negative person. Just be that positive person. So when they say, "Hey, do you think you can pick me up on Friday night?" you say, "Okay, I'll pick you up Friday night." Like, you know.
0: When did you kind of get get to this conclusion where you kind of had to like almost back off on a lot of things, and you, you personally?
1: Yeah, it really um, working on the high risk team and like really what's that for? Um, so there's a domestic violence high risk team in most areas where w- women come into shelters and they do assessments and they do questionnaires and they do what's called a danger assessment. So it's a bunch of questions that they can answer. What are I, some of those questions? Um, goodness. Is there weapons in your home? Is there strangulation in your relationship? Um, just different, you know, feeling out just their day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they score a certain number, then they're put on the high risk team because they're at a higher risk of becoming a homicide. Okay. So, um, just working through like the great people that worked on that team with us because it's law enforcement, it's DAs, it's, um, safe Haven. It's all of the,
0: for the whole, like, in whole all of city? the community.
1: Okay. Yeah. For and all is, of Tarrant County.
0: Is there one of those at each County or just Tarrant County?
1: There is one in Dallas County as well. They're, they're becoming more popular because the state of Texas has done a high-risk model. Really? Yeah. So, they're trying to implement them in more places for sure.
0: Wow. Have yeah. you had to deal with a lot of... Uh, well, before I jump into that question, finish what you're saying about um, what we're we talking about.
1: Oh, working with them yes, and just and how, learning. Yeah. yeah, just learning their techniques because just to teach women how to be safe.
0: How hard was that for you?
1: It's hard. Yeah, because... A lot of times women come into the ER and if they say, yeah, my husband did this to me, the nurses are automatically like, okay, well, let's, you know, here's a phone. Let's call the shelter. Well, this woman is already in a relationship that she's being told what to do all the time. So she's going to take the phone and she's going to dial the number. That doesn't mean that she's ready to leave. Hmm. It doesn't mean that she's safe to leave, but she's going to do what she's told because that's what she's used to doing. You know what I mean?
0: That's tough.
1: Yeah. So it's really about safety planning and just, you know, what do you need from me? Tell me how I can help you instead of
0: the yeah. other way around. Knowing a lot of these things and working kind of in the trenches of this specific field, what has that done to you, your mental psyche, your how you, how do you process these things?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I can tell you I live my life a lot different.
0: <laughs> how so?
1: Just um, especially with doing sexual assault exams, like being more aware of my surroundings, being uh, I know my husband says something to me it's been a while now but when i get in the garage i will not unlock my car until the garage door is fully shut and i look around like make sure no one like came in the garage <laughs> and then check, your mirrors. check my mirrors yeah like when i get in the car to go anywhere i don't open the garage door until my car is locked my seat belt's on my car started like if my garage door opens that means i'm backing out mm. like i'm not like dilly dallying in the car um I will not have a massage by a man ever again.
0: Ever again? (laughs) Ever
1: again. (laughs) Okay.
0: This will (laughs) happen.
1: Well, because we get a lot of cases from massage parlors. Really? Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Like you have your occasional, like, oh my gosh. You know, the lady was jogging down the path and gets jerked into the bushes. You have those, but then I don't jog, so that's okay. (laughs) Um, I don't have to worry about that one.
0: I don't work out. I I just kind of stay home. No, I I work out. I
1: just don't (laughs) jog. Um,
0: Wow! I did not know that. Yeah. Oh my gosh! What else? Um, I'm I'm telling my wife after. This.
1: Right. <laughs> like, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And just the like, I had one recently that went to the supermarket to go get stuff to make dinner that night, and she got back into her car, and a man was in her back seat. Oh my goodness! And the only thing that she kept saying during her exam was. I really thought i locked my car. I thought I locked my door. I just should have locked my door. I just, I thought I locked my door. And it's like, you, you can't keep beating yourself up over, like, you probably did lock your door. Oh, that makes me so like, just that self blame, you know, but it's.
0: And these are people who are just like regular everyday people mm-hmm. and it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of those things that like people just, you know, women just don't get, like, they don't have a. They almost feel like it's all safe. When, mm-hmm. you know, we're in America. I'm at the supermarket. It's my normal day-to-day routine. Yep. But it could happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that.
1: hmm
0: Or they're in the back of your car at a massage parley, parlor. So I mean, and
1: your bars. Like, you have your bar. Someone gave you, you know, something in your thing. drink. And yeah. Yeah, those kind of ones.
0: You have a lot of those. Yeah. What's the kind of the majority of cases you see?
1: Acquaintances or someone that's like, I thought he was my friend. So I went over there to watch a movie. And then all of a sudden, he just changed. Or you know we were just hanging out. we were supposed to go get dinner. Um, a lot of online dating. <laughs> do you get
0: do you get a lot of? Um, I guess this is this is kind of a hard question. Um, with the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. I know that that I, what's behind the Me Too movement is amazing. Um, but do you ever get situations where you know this lady's just BSing it? And you know, that has really never really happened and that she's just trying to play the system. Do you ever get any of that?
1: Um, I'm sure we do. Um, but it's one of those, you come in, the patient says, this is what it is. So that's what you take it for. It is what the patient says it is. Just like someone presents to the ER and they say they have chest pain. Okay. Yeah. Well then you have chest pain. Like that's, that, that is what it is. Yeah. Um,
0: you can't really make assumptions.
1: You can't, and then by doing the exam, you can't tell someone if they were assaulted or not. Um, yes, sometimes they'll have injury that's you know goes along with the history of the assault that they told us, but the majority of the time, they don't. They have don't any in- have any injuries to their genital areas, mm-hmm. so you can't tell someone like, "Oh, you were assaulted," and yeah. a lot of times we have um, younger patients that their parents will bring in because they got caught having sex with their boyfriend mm. They're like you need to tell me if she's been sexually active it's like well that's not what this does <laughs> <laughs> like i can't do that <laughs> sorry <laughs> oh no not while i'm here <laughs> <Wow>. like,
0: <laughs> that's pretty crazy
1: so just yeah and we have um patients who i'm sure have been assaulted like childhood sexual trauma mm. and there are you know, they're psych patients now and they have all of those issues that they just haven't ever dealt with. And they'll continuously present like with the same story, mm. but it's probably, you know, I wholeheartedly believe that something happened to you as a child and you're just reliving it over and over again. Like wait, a guy that came in that spent the night at his dad's house. Um, he just doesn't usually sleep at his dad's house, but he came in because he went to sleep and he woke up. And he said, you see this cut in my jeans? You see this hole right here? This hole wasn't here whenever I went to sleep. And I woke up and this hole was here. So I know he assaulted me.
0: Hmm. It's
1: like, how about we offer some psychiatric help for Mm. you?
0: How do you balance that? The psych with kind of your main job?
1: It's hard just because, you know, they need a lot more help than what I can give them. And if they don't want to, you know, go see the psychiatrist, you can't force them to do it. Yeah. So
0: I know for me, when I would have to take care of um, like predators or like sexual predators, whether it's for kids or women or whatever, yeah, and I'm I'm here to give them aid. Like that was extremely hard for me.
1: Yeah, it's hard.
0: How do you do it?
1: We yeah. really don't see a lot of the other side. The other side, mm-hmm. yeah. We see a lot more. We just usually see the victims. But I mean, hearing
0: their stories, like the one in the back of the car, and hearing. You know, you, know, you just—I just got jumped and raped. Like, yeah, what is hard. it? What does that do to you?
1: It's, it's emotionally draining. So you have to take, you know, to step back, self care.
0: <laughs> yeah, yoga, yeah.
1: yoga. Yeah, work out. Um, I can see where it's really hard for some people to fall into. Like, I'm just going to go home and have a beer. But you know, just to be really cautious of, like, I'm just going to go home and work out instead. Yeah. You know,
0: I know I was. I would. I used to. I was an alcoholic, but I was pretty damn close. Well,
1: I think anyone in like EMS, yeah. like it's numbing.
0: Yeah.
1: You just have to get over it.
0: Yeah. I was, I was, think I was knocking out about a uh, bottle of whiskey every, every weekend, but just by myself every yeah. it was Friday and Saturday or well, Saturday and Sunday.
1: That's a sick cycle too. Yeah. That's
0: a- <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, That's a whole nother podcast. Whole, <laughs> a whole nother
1: podcast. Yeah. So just to be mindful of, you know your own personal feelings. And I am very lucky that I can go home and have a supportive husband that understands what I do and knows like, Hey, let's talk it out. You know, he'll sit and listen to me talk for however long I need to. So, mm-hmm. or, Hey, let's go, you know, let's go to a movie or let's go for a walk or, you know, he'll work out with me if I don't have any motivation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just. <laughs> do you ever
0: have those times where you feel like you need to just not coming to work? Because you're mm-hmm. just not there. You're not mentally prepared to be able to handle it again.
1: I do. And I feel like when I go anyways, um, I always feel like on those days and I do get a patient, it's usually the patient that I needed to get, if that makes any sense. Explain
0: that process. Because when you say get a fish because you're, you're technically an ER nurse, right? And then you have, you get pulled to do it or not? No.
1: Oh. Um, so currently in my, my current position- uh-huh. Um, when we go for our 12s, we are only doing sexual assault exams. For 12 hours? For 12 hours. Yeah. So when a patient presents to the hospital, um, we get called as a consult and we talk to the patient, see if they want to report to the police. We get the ball rolling for their medical side. Um, and then based on what the the patient decides to do, then we either do an exam or we don't.
0: Mm. Have you ever, uh, because I know there's been a big push recently for Texas um, to really crack down on on trafficking. Mm -hmm. Have you been involved in any of that?
1: Um, Not firsthand. Um, I have had a few adolescent patients that have actually come in from like the juvenile detention center, but they were there for other things and they were being trafficked. um, And it was just like a history exam. Because it wasn't recent enough to take swabs. Mm Because there's a time frame for evidence collection.
0: So so these people were trafficked in the past and then were in juvie?
1: Yes. Yeah. So to sit and listen to like... How old were they? Oh, I think she was 15.
0: Oh my gosh. It's already just making my blood boil right now.
1: Yeah. Just talking about how she was... She was her own pimp. But then she needed money for a hotel room so she could have somewhere to sleep that night so she went to this guy that she knew had other girls that you know that she could have a connection with or whatever and then she worked with him for like two nights and then decided she wanted to go back on her own again and i was like oh are, my god you were 15 years old
0: <laughs> and to get already have that mindset she had to been doing this for years at you t- know at
1: least a couple yeah i mean
0: you know to have all, yeah. to, to have that mindset right you know she's not just you know, being taken. Right. She's actually like realized I can do more. And yeah. that's, that takes a long time to she's get to She's like, that point. I
1: can make my own money and not give a cut to this guy. I can just keep it all for myself if I work for myself.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wait, how did that make you feel? Cause I'm just hearing that right now. I'm like it like just pissed.
1: Well, it, first of all, it shocks you. You're just like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? But then you have, then I realized like, oh, this is the world that we live in. You know? I was like, yeah, it's a,
0: what would you say to people who like have lost complete sight of what's really going on around them? Because working at working on you know us working on the EMS side of it, the ER side of it, the and now you the uh, sane side of it, and the mm-hmm. sexual soul side of it. I mean, we're seeing what's really going on out there, mm-hmm. or I'm not anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> but you've
1: seen it. yes,
0: um, what's really going on around, on around us? Yeah, like it is so easy to get in this bubble mm-hmm. of just my life is good or my life is bad either way but so focused on ourselves and so focused on what we're doing that we forget that you know two neighbors down the street has their two daughters being trafficked
1: Mm -hmm.
0: like how does that make you feel you know how does what does that do to your psyche well and
1: the most of it is their family's got them into it really yeah like child trafficking like very rarely is someone going to drive down the street and snatch your kid it happens trust me but it's you know mom couldn't pay rent this month. So let me go sell my kid to the highest bidder and then I can pay rent.
0: Are you serious? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot.
0: This freaking podcast. Sorry. Me <laughs> In my bed, just punching it. Like, how, do I, how do I help? So that's you're going to pull thing. your
1: whiskey back out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I get too anxious now when I drink. Oh, yeah. After I drink now, I'm like, just pure anxiety
1: yeah no we went to a halloween party last night and i had two solo cups of like an oktoberfest a i felt like crap because i just can't recover from drinking any alcohol like (laughs) i used to i'm just too old for that and then i literally (gasps) laid in bed for like hours with my heart racing yeah yeah and i'm like why did i do this like i just had two beers like i don't understand
0: (gasps) i had one beer on thursday night last thursday night and friday from like five hours yeah that yeah i just can't do anymore no I can't. only since covid only oh, since of huh. COVID.
1: Mine's been since I graduated. Since I've actually <laughs> been I've actually been working out again. So, hey, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> but no, like ever since I had COVID, it's, I can't yep. drink. Uh huh. Which makes me insane. It's super weird. I love alcohol.
1: <laughs> I just don't like the way it makes me feel the next day.
0: Uh, it's see, not worth it. I don't even feel it the next day. It's, um, it's... Wait
1: until you get close to 40. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. You just don't recover. <laughs> the same when you're... <laughs>
0: I just start doing the hard drugs now. You know, right? (laughs) I've switched. I've switched my numbing agent. Yeah, which that is kind of funny. A lot of like a lot of this is just numbing. Mm -hmm. It's just a symptom of a larger issue. Yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. And like yoga and working out, those are all those are super helpful. Mm -hmm. But how do you get from away from just numbing it to actually dealing with the problem? Uh, Also, a loaded question.
1: Yeah, Um, I'm all
0: about those loaded questions.
1: I feel like, I don't know if this is like a cop out answer, but I really feel like I'm good at compartmentalizing Mm. and I have a capability of like, yes, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to this person. And I have to live through it again with them, but I can also put all of that to the back of my mind and have that trauma informed, like just walk through the steps Mm. because that's what I have to do. Like, this is my job.
0: But you didn't start out like that. Am I right?
1: No, I didn't because you, you know, you your heart on your sleeve for a long, mm-hmm. a long time. Um, did I ever tell you about my first, uh, my first suicide on the ambulance? Mm-mm. No. Okay. Well, please tell. <laughs> so it was a guy that had terminal cancer. Um, he had shot himself in the head and my current partner at the time. You remember who I worked with for a long mm-hmm. time? Yeah. Um, so we walked in and this guy had a German shepherd laying in bed with him
0: mm-hmm.
1: while he's like propped up against the wall and the dog is just like crying i get teary-eyed and i'm like oh i don't like not i just i you know we're trying to get the dog and then my partner looks at me and says sure if you can't see people like this then maybe this isn't the job oh for you oh my gosh and i look at him and i'm like really Can we just, I don't want the dog to go to the pound. Like the dog's going to have to go to the pound. Like this dog has no reason to go to the pound. Can we put Mm. it in the ambulance until someone could come pick it up? Like, does this guy have family? Like, Mm. and I just broke down about the dog (laughs) and he's like, really? You're upset about the dog. I'm like, yeah, like we can't do anything for the guy. Like, but this dog, this dog is miserable. Mm. So that's my, like, I can compartmentalize with people. But I cannot compartmentalize with animals.
0: <laughs> wow. Now, when you first got initiated in CMS, when I say initiated, your yeah. first actual call yeah. was bad. Yeah. Was that one of those times as well, or were you okay? Cause I know for me, I didn't sleep for like three days.
1: I don't remember what my first like really bad call was, but no, I I couldn't sleep for probably three or four days after that first suicide call. Mm. Cause it was just the, you know. It made it all real. Yeah. But you can look at pictures and everything and hear stories and watch in school, TV and yeah. school. Yeah. But did you do in a so- CPR in school? Hmm?
0: Did you ever do CPR in school? Mm-mm. Yeah, same here. mm all my All my other students that I was with. Yeah. They did CPR. They saw dead bodies on their clinicals. Oh, you clinicals. mean in EMT school? In clinicals.
1: In clinicals, yes, I did. Okay. Yeah. Because um, I did my first write-out ever at AMR. Like an <laughs> empty, <laughs> empty school. And um, it actually, we didn't get the call to do the CPR. It was another ambulance that had.
0: But you were closer?
1: No, <laughs> we were at the hospital. Like we had uh-huh. just dropped a patient off at AMH. And um Carrie was like, okay, we're going to wait because there's a truck coming in and they're doing compressions. So we're just going to wait. And she's like, go put some gloves on. So we'll wait, like at the back door, wait for the ambulance to pull up. And it was one of my other. Like classmates Mm -hmm. in the back of the ambulance and when they opened the back of the truck there was blood everywhere (laughs) and I just look at my classmate and he's doing compressions and his eyes are huge and he's just like freaking out and I'm like oh god (laughs) So they pull him out of the back And Carrie was like Stand on the stretcher Like stand up there And finish those Take over for him and I was like Oh my god
0: Oh my like, lord Okay
1: Did you know Did you go to TCC?
0: No I did not Oh hell.
1: you did hell Okay uh, Did y'all have to wear White shirts to clinicals?
0: No ours are blue
1: Oh ours were white <laughs> <laughs> Like what kind of A good idea is that? <laughs> Don't to worry to a clinical.
0: Especially on the ambulance. Where
1: uh, you, yeah. I mean, you can't
0: you really like, change much. No. I, I didn't get any of that in clinicals. Really? Like, I didn't see one dead body in clinicals. I saw a dude seize and I saw some gangrene.
1: Yeah.
0: I saw some gangrene at JPS at my yeah. clinicals and in green. They in put green. me in green. Nice. As I'm like, and I was like, I'll never work in the hospital. I no. will never work in a hospital. And look
1: where you ended up.
0: Yeah, I know. Five and a half years. Yeah. In JPS. You're which, welcome.
1: I feel like I helped you get. This I you stuff. did.
0: Yes, you did. I appreciate that. It's
1: either you're welcome or I'm so sorry. No, like, 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 I
0: didn't. like, uh, we. You learn a lot. It was kind of like at JPS. It, it really opens your eyes to mm-hmm. all that's going on.
1: Can I tell you that I remember the first day I trained you in trauma. <laughs> Do you remember this? Yes. Do you remember this?
0: Do you remember a cardiac massage?
1: Yes. Yeah. No. Whenever you're like, okay, well, this is you know, you had a level one before, oh, you yes. can go in there and you can do this level one on your own. So I'm standing outside, <laughs> like I didn't even gown up or anything, and then I hear the trauma surgeon. He's like, I need a thoracotomy tray, and I just look up and made eye contact with you, <laughs> and your eyes were huge, and you're like, what? I'm like, hold on, I'm coming. <laughs> I'm literally weaving through people. Like that was the- <laughs> still
0: probably one of the bloodiest ones yeah. I've ever had. I, I mean, like, they okay. did a thoracotomy, but they, that was like, what, like an hour and a half? Cold. Yeah, it was like, crazy. Dude, was, and we had to go, we had to take the bed out back because it was so bloody that yeah. we couldn't wipe it down. The, the housekeepers couldn't wipe it down. Yeah, and was it was blood like, you everywhere. could
1: press the mattress and, and it, it seeped would like, out. seep out. Yeah. Because they so still bad. used
0: it in OR. Yeah, it was bad. Oh. But see, we, we laugh about that now, but like, I going back to my, even the initial clinicals I had, I nothing. I thought I was going to save the world, you know? Yeah. Wearing the heartless sleeve. My very first call was like three days into training at AMR.
1: Yeah.
0: And it was a traumatic full arrest. Yeah. And again, blood, you know, three, four inches deep in the back of the ambulance. Mm-hmm. Just vomiting. It was one of the worst calls, even to this day, because oh. her whole body was broken. It was like yeah. an autoped at like 60. Oh. A lady on a bike. Yeah. A homeless person on a bike. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it was my very first call. And oh. for three days after that, it was like, I just can't yeah Think about anything, you yeah. know. It's hard, man, but it's good though for people to hear that. People need to yeah. hear that there is way more going on, yeah, around them than they will ever know for sure. And I think we need to have the health perspective on what's truly going on with trafficking. And yeah,
1: well, don't um, if you're a female, don't Uber by yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you get a lot of those? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, you you just uh, tell me all the things so that I can I can be more aware. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs>
0: Golly, Uber massage.
1: Lots of things. Jogging. Jogging. Yeah.
0: So it just it's more of a situational awareness it is, is what yeah. people need to have.
1: Situational awareness for sure.
0: How would you teach that?
1: I just think it's hard to teach because I really wasn't aware of it until I started doing this job, but now that I am aware of it, like if I have a friend that's like, oh, I forgot my wallet. I'm going to go Uber back to my house real quick. Like, I'll meet you guys there. Like, no, you're not going to go by yourself. Like being that person that steps up and says, let's do this together. Or, hey, you know, I think it's situational where you just teach people in the situation.
0: Do you see a lot of, I see a lot, I don't know about you, but I see a lot of women who will just be walking down the street on their phone Mm -hmm. without any type of like looking around. I'm like, that lady is going to get taken. Yeah. Bottom line. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Do gotta you, be aware are you on your phone oh no <laughs> and when i walk so from parkland to the from where i have to enter to mm-hmm. go to work and where i park it's literally a quarter of a mile oh no yeah so whenever i go to and from i make sure my hydroflask bottle is full <laughs> and i carry it it's <laughs> so like if one of these homeless people comes up <laughs> on me i have a weapon
0: well isn't, aren't there apps for like when you walk gotta walk by yourself and all I that? think so. But you don't use them?
1: No. Come on, man. It's five in the morning. No one's gonna...
0: But it, it, there's one that'll actually uh, call the police for you. you. All gotta do is let go of the button or something.
1: Oh, yeah. That's true. Um, no, I mean, the police are pretty close by because it's right by the ambulance, but...
0: You shouldn't scream. Like,
1: ah! I can scream and I have one good hit with my hydro flask <laughs> and then... I can make it to the bargain what lot. What if they
0: catch it? What if they catch it, the hydro flask in their hand?
1: I mean, I know a little self defense.
0: Okay, you and yoga, I've, self defense and yoga. No,
1: I've taken actual self defense. What? Yeah.
0: Jack of all trades here. Yeah. What kind of self defense?
1: Um, it's I had to take it in college.
0: Like jujitsu, or
1: I, I guess it's just, it was. It was just a guy that self <laughs>
0: defense. I don't know. You no,
1: know, it was you know what to do to get out of a chokehold yeah. and you know, and
0: not get it strangled. Not get strangled. And get a cardiac section.
1: Yeah. You know, you step on their foot and you elbow them in the junk and you run. Like, <laughs> What was it
0: uh, a seeing, <laughs> yeah. stomach, Yeah. step nose, groin?
1: Yeah, that one. <laughs>
0: Sorry. I guess that's, just, that's why I watched it. <laughs> yeah.
1: You have your mace. You have like, you know.
0: <laughs> All right. So kind of in, in conclusion, how would somebody want to get involved in this field, whether it's um, helping reduce trafficking or critical awareness or sexual assault and domestic yeah. abuse? How would somebody get involved?
1: Um, It just depends on the role that you want to play. Like, if you're a current nurse and you've been a nurse for two years, then you're able to go to different trainings um, to become certified to be a SANE nurse. Um, Or if you want to become a volunteer for, like, the Women's Center, so you can um, be an advocate and they take volunteers to go sit with victims and help them, you know, start their process of recovery, um, you can volunteer for any of the women's centers
0: can you do like safe haven like volunteer at safe haven
1: they do um they hold different events that you can help with and they do you can you know donate items and things to their donation store and all of that fun stuff so
0: is, is there any type of number that you can call or is it just kind of google safe haven or google just, women's center i
1: would just google safe haven and google the women's center and okay. there's like volunteer opportunities on there
0: okay are these linked with uh, the hospitals or is it Kind of, because they're all kind of together on this, right?
1: Yeah, we all work together. That's cool. Yeah.
0: If there was a volunteer, I know there's a lot of different roles, um, but if, if somebody wanted to really just be with the patients, be with them as like an aide, or mm-hmm. um, are there positions like that? Are there that you know of? So like in, explain some of the
1: positions yeah. that could be there. In Tarrant County, they do offer um, advocates that are volunteer based for the women's center for the sexual assault side of it. And they take you through um, a really good class and you have to get trained. And they have really good training to teach you um, just how to help the patients. And before COVID, they would actually respond to the hospital and sit with the patient the entire time they're getting their exam done. Mm. And then in Dallas County, um, they do have other facilities that have advocates as well. But Parkland, they're unique where they have their own advocates that work at the hospital. So we utilize Mm. them. Um, that are employed by the actual Mm -hmm. wow
0: man well sure this has been a lot of fun um i've already learned a lot um much respect for what you do it's hard (laughs) i could not do it just for the little over an hour hour and a half hour and 26 minutes that we have here (sighs) i'm pissed right
1: now
0: (laughs) maybe i shouldn't have brought up all that but like i want to i want to know i want to be aware yeah you know i want to do, do as much as I can, yeah. and hopefully this podcast will get us. Maybe, maybe somebody is in this situation
1: yeah.
0: and need help. And
1: yeah. if
0: it reaches them, awesome. That's kind of what I hope. So, Sounds
1: thank great. you for all you do, Shree. Thank you for having me. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.